Downtown and Business will be talking about regeneration once again when we host our second annual Property Planning and Regeneration Conference in February 2023. We'll be heading to the Burlington Hotel in Birmingham, focusing on priority issues for the property industry, including the levelling up agenda, net zero, planning laws, housing development, high streets, infrastructure and partnerships. Among our contributors are the Chief Executives of Salford, Coventry, Newcastle and Wolverhampton City Councils, the leaders from Birmingham, Leeds and Manchester and the Chief Executive of the Liverpool City Region Combined Authority. We'll have national politicians speaking to us as well, including the godfather of regeneration, that's Lord Michael Heseltine. To book your tickets for this event, which takes place, I remind you, on the 9th of February, 2023, in Birmingham, visit all the W's, downtowninbusiness.com. Get your tickets today for what is going to be another fantastic downtown event. When I rocked up in Birmingham about eight years ago to establish the Downtown in Business brand in that fantastic city, one of the first guys I met was Ed James, an entrepreneur, uh, somebody who was clearly interested in politics, the presenter of the breakfast programme on Heart Radio, so a real celebrity in and around Brum. Ed was a guy who helped me connect and network with many other influential people from across the city, uh, but is also somebody who has got involved with downtown in business he presents our uh, awards evenings for us for example but also he's been a member through the various business interests that he's had during that period of time what you'll hear from ed james is the story of somebody who's had some fantastic highs but some devastating lows a real honest assessment of what it's like to taste success um, but then quite literally overnight lose it. Um, but also, and thankfully, the tale of somebody who's been able to bounce back. Not just a radio presenter, not just an entrepreneur, an author as well. Um, but I think most of all, what Ed James is to me, is the ultimate optimist. Whatever goes wrong, whatever challenges he's faced, he's a glass half full sort of guy. And I think it's that optimism, that hope, that commitment to helping other people that has eventually saw Ed, as I say, come through some tough times, um, but absolutely now is looking ahead to a future that is significantly bright and I think more success is going to come his way. Um, whatever your business whatever your background, whatever you've done with your life up until this point, I'm sure you will get something out of the conversation I had with Ed James in the Downtown Den. Welcome to the latest edition of the Downtown Den podcast. And in the den with me today is a broadcaster, entrepreneur, author, uh, an all-round good guy, Ed James. Great oh, to see you, Ed. Great to see you too. I don't ever think I'd be in a den with you, Frank, but I'm very happy to be here. 
The downtown den. Downtown den. People do ask me what it's like, but they've got to come into the podcast if they want to see what it's like. It's almost indescribable. Yeah, I don't agree. It's a feeling, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So thanks for coming in. Right, yeah. And um, we're going to have a chat about uh, your career. Thank you. Uh, what makes you tick? Yes. The ups? Yeah. And the downs? Yes. Um, and, you know, this fascinating journey that you've been on um, because you and I got to know each other when we rocked up in Birmingham about eight years ago now. Yeah. And I always, as long as that because we're was, still young aren't we? Eight, eight, eight years ago, well, you were 21 and yes. I was 18. Oh yes. um, <laughs> right, okay. That's how it's going to go today, is it? <laughs> well, they always say to people um, and it sounds a bit a bit tweeted but of all the cities that we work in mm. Birmingham is the friendliest. Yes. And you were one of the first people that we met here. Right. And you were so welcoming. And I think you must have introduced me to at least half a dozen people who we've connected with and maintained a relationship with. And I just got to know Ed James as that time breakfast presenter. Yes. On the radio. Yeah. And we got you to do a few of our events and that sort of thing. Never thought much about <laughs> Thanks. what else does he do and yeah. where's he come from and all that sort of thing. Assume that you were a brummy born and bred yeah. because you're so passionate about the place. So only when I decided we were going to have this conversation and you kindly agreed to do it, did I just do a little bit of a search on uh, James. And there's all sorts of stuff on no, life and times <laughs> on. So I'm not going to go into everything that's on there. Um, but you started your radio career when you were 12. I did. Is that right? So yeah, how, I did. Well, tell me about that then. So, uh, born in Wales and then uh, grew up in Yorkshire, basically. My mum's a broadcaster. So mum used to work for BBC York. Um, so it was always on in the house. And they ran a competition called the Kids What's On Guide. And they basically said, if you're a kid and you want to come into the station and tell kids what to do in the holidays... You know, drop, drop us a line. And I thought, oh, how hard can that be? <laughs> and, this, you know, the station was piped around the house all the time. So I said to mum, I've heard this thing. I'm just going to, you know, write in. And she went, yeah, great. Anyway, I did. And I ended up winning a competition to talk on air every day for two weeks in the Easter holidays to tell kids what to do to entertain themselves. And that's where the bug came from. It was, um, you know, I love school. I always have done. I love being around people and I love the energy. But being inside a radio station and still to this day is unlike any other environment. Um, Everyone's up for it. It's fun. It's passionate. There's a lot of energy. Um, Even at the time as a 12-year-old, I remember the station was piped around every single room, even in the loo. So when you went for a wee, the, those tunes are like, I've never been in an environment. Like, it was just amazing. And I got the bug there. Um, just the people you meet, everyone's optimistic and fun. It was, it was like, it was like the best bits about school in a workplace, which I hadn't ever experienced. I've gone to work with, with my dad who worked in a pet food mill and it was all very worky. And I thought, and I thought then, I don't want to work in an environment that's, that's boring and staying. I want to work somewhere that feels fun. And that's what I still do now with HDY, to try and create that environment. And the people I'm drawn towards are 
like you, Frank. Just optimistic, fun people with energy and a passion for doing stuff. Mm. And that's what still drives me now. Interesting that um, you mentioned you more yes. into broadcasting. And then you talk about your dad, who was that his own business or was he working? Uh, he in was it? the director for the yeah. pet food company, so he still works in the industry. And Mum still does lots of broadcasts. Yeah. She, she a chef? She's done loads. So okay. Mum used to be interesting. So Mum was the home economist for This Morning with Richard and Judy when it was Albert Dock. Oh, right. So again, as a kid, yeah. so Mum used to prep the items yeah. and then used to do the set dress and the design and used to stand in for the chef when either they, they were ill, but she'd prep it and work out the camera angles and have a chat with Richard and Judy and all the rest of it. So again, as a kid in the holidays, I used to just go in and watch and, mm. and wash up and help cook and all the rest. So I, I was just surrounded by that fantastic energy and those opportunities as a young guy. Um, and then she launched a PR agency uh, and now she's a model. Yes. Uh, so she's, you know, she's still having an amazing time just saying yes to things that excite her. Yeah. And do you think that your optimism is born out of that sort of Absolutely. get up and go Absolutely. Of, yeah. of your mum? Is, is your dad a similar person? Absolutely. And I, I think my work ethic comes from there. I mean, I love, I love work. I love to work hard. And my memory of my childhood is... Mum um, and dad weren't there to collect me from school all the time because dad used to work late and then he used to get home. We used to have tea and then he'd work on the kitchen table as well. And then mum would often be out and about. So I was surrounded by, you know, p parents who just who grafted and who worked hard. And I think I learned that fr from them. And I've tried to instill that in my kids as well because I just think it's, a, it's such a skill and the world isn't easy. And actually, you've got to put graft and effort in if you want anything to happen. So I think it's an important thing to, to pass on to my kids. Yeah. So you go into a radio career at 12 years of age. <laughs> it wasn't a career. I'm, two I'm, weeks. I'm not sure it is now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just haven't been found out yet, Frank. <laughs> uh, and that is when you decide, obviously, you know, you, you said the, your words, I got the bug. Yes. So you, you've obviously thought, this is a potential career moving forward in this. Yeah. And, you know, you go up to Newcastle to that University. Is. Yeah. Um, so tell me about your time in, in that great city, because as you know, that sounds recently launched. Though. What, what, and, and again, just, just a city unlike anywhere else. I mean, the people are fantastic. The atmosphere is brilliant. No one wears any clothes, no matter how cold it gets. Unless that's what I remember about it. Um, but yeah, I did a politics course for three years. <clears throat> in truth, I love politics and I've got a massive interest in it. Um, I always wanted to be on air though. So I didn't work anywhere near as hard as I should have done or I could have done. I scraped by with a 2-2 in the end. I remember on my graduation I, I arrived and I turned up and the guy actually went, I think you're in the wrong place. I said, no, 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 I'm in the right place. It's just that you haven't seen me for three years. <laughs> so I scraped through, um, but I worked I worked on air a lot alongside it. Well, I, worked, I had a job at Tesco in the evenings, and then I had a show on a station in Sunderland at the time, and then in Teesside, and then for the BBC in Newcastle as well. I just worked. I just, I just knew I wanted to be on air. So I contacted all the stations. I did any shift that was available. I met everyone I could and tried to 
do as much as I had to do on the course to not get thrown off, but also learn as much as I could about the industry. Mm. And so that's how the three years went. Also, I had a lot of fun. Mm. Um, the Tuxedo Royale, which was a floating nightclub. Yes. I don't I know if you remember. I remember it by reputation. <laughs> Sadly, I never managed to get there. <laughs> it was an incredible place for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we had, I had a lot of fun in the town. It's a great city. It's a great, it's a great city. city. It really is. So following on from um, university or yeah. non-university, <laughs> um, when did you feel as though you'd broken through or did you feel during that period of time, even at that tender age, that actually I'm, I'm set for, for this No, I think, I think the only, I think the time I felt, okay, this is, quite, this is quite important now and I need to treat it seriously was when I got the gig at heart. Um, <clears throat> so very brief history, uh, worked at a station. Uh, well, so yeah, I did all the stuff in the north, northeast, then got a job in the northwest at a station just outside Stockport. So I broadcast to the northwest for two years. Then I came to the Midlands, worked at Mercia in Coventry, Beacon in Wolverhampton, which are both now free. Um, and then I got the call from Hart in 2002. And it was when that call came in, I mean, Hart was. I think the fifth largest station outside of London at the time. So it was, a, and it still it is, it's still way inside the top 10. It's just a big deal. It's in a big area. It was Brum and the, the West Midlands region. And it just felt there, okay, I'm going out to an audience of, well, at the time it was nearly a million people a week, which was massive. And it was for a 28 year old lad, it's like, okay, this is a big deal now. Um, and I've just, I still feel that privilege now, just in terms of that's what we do. We're allowed, we're invited into people's cars and homes and workplaces. And I never take that for granted, especially now, because there's so much choice. And not only on air, you've got podcasts, you've got Spotify, you've got you've got your phone, you can search around, you've just got life. And actually, if people are choosing you, um, we're very fortunate to be in that situation. And it still makes me very proud to, to do it. And yeah, that's always at the back of my mind. Someone's made an active choice to put your show on. So you've got to respect that. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a great industry. I, and, you know, just in terms of the, I suppose what I'd call the, the added value to the radio presenting, that's 20 years ago. Yes. You're still here. Still here. You are, as I said in my intro, uh, as far as I'm concerned, a brummy. Yes. What is it about this place that has maintained your interest, got you to become one of the place's biggest ambassadors? Why do you love Birmingham? Great question. It's the people, ultimately. I mean, you will have seen that. The people here are unlike anywhere else. I'm from Yorkshire originally, and the people in Yorkshire are great, and that always has a soft spot in my, and will always have a very soft spot in my heart. But when I arrived in Birmingham, just the energy, the attitude, the vibe of the people here, it's unbelievable. That's the reason the show has been, the, that's the reason we're on air still, because it hasn't ever been about me or Gemma or Rachel who I work with or Helen or Esther, whoever I've worked with. It hasn't been about us. We're a conduit to get people's stories on air. So we just talk about stuff. And people around it, the great thing about, about broadcasting to a region like here is, People just get involved. People, I've got a story about that, or I saw that, and we get tech, we get calls, and all our job basically is to just to 
to tell stories, to get stories in, and then share other people's stories, which spurs on more story. And that's that's what we've done all this time. We've just told stories and you know just involved people and engaged people. But they've got to be prepared to engage. So I know people who work all over the country, and they go, oh, "How do you get people to text in? How do you get callers in?" They don't give a shit. It's like I'm not getting involved. But here, people want to get involved, and you see, you walk down the street, people talk to you, people smile at you. This doesn't happen everywhere, and you, you, you'll appreciate that with each place you work. Here's quite special, and it's the people that make it special. And that's, that's why I've loved broadcasting here. But that absolutely goes into starting a business here as well. The business community in Brum, again, I think works like nowhere else. People want to help you and support you. And you mentioned very kindly in the introduction that I introduced you to a lot of people I did, but people have done the same for me because that's how it works here. If you know a person that can help anyone, it's almost it's almost implied and understood that you're going to help. You're going to pass a contact on or introduce because if Birmingham wins, we all win. If more of the spotlight shines on here, no matter what business you run, we all do better and we all help each other. And that's a very unique thing to, to, to Brum. It doesn't happen everywhere. And and why would you want to leave that? And and that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, part of HDY success is that it's based here and we've got access to people that can help and we, we can help them. I broadcast here because whatever you put out, you get back. Um, just it's such an amazing place. And it's interesting. We've I've thought about this, especially with 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 the Con Games, which I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll t- t- talk about at some point. And it's, it's a phrase that we actually came up with at HDY when we did some work for the council, that you don't have to be from here to belong here. You can't say that about London or Manchester. You can't be a Manc unless you're born in Manchester, but you can be a Brummie no matter where you're from. And that's, I think, unique to this place. It's a bit of a New York vibe in terms of you can come here, you can make whatever you want out of yours, you can do whatever you want, you won't be judged. If you reach out to people, people will help you and you can build anything you want and become anything you want. That's why I love it, because that doesn't happen everywhere, but it absolutely happens here and it's happening more and more. And I just think that's a very special place to be. It's a great line. Thank you. Great line. It is mine. It's Ben. (laughs) Well done, Ben. He's done a great job. (laughs) The other thing that you've done um, whilst you've been in the city is you've embedded yourself into the civic yes. life of the town and a lot of the issues that have been yeah. circulating for two decades before I was here. I'm yeah. sure you were involved prior to downtown and business rocking up. Um, but you mentioned briefly that you know you did a, po- a politics course yes. and you're very interested in yeah. politics. And again, one of the things that sort of drew my attention to you mm. in the early days was somebody had said that guy might run for mayor <laughs> yes and you know the first conversation we had was very much about the politics of the city how we could grow the economy yeah. regenerate so yes this persona red james fun guy mm. broadcaster all that's great yeah but there is a very serious side Yes, to what you do outside of the radio station. Yes, there is. And what are the sort of things that Commonwealth Games will talk about later? Yeah. But 
you see what's happened to this place in terms of its transformation. Yeah. Certainly, as I say, since we rocked up eight years ago. Yes, changed hugely. Um, but one of the sort of things that you've been involved in that you think, you, you look back and you think, I'm really proud I, I got involved in that. Uh, and equally, have you got any appetite in terms of getting into the political arena in a more formal way? <clears throat> Two good questions. Um, I guess... To address, I mean, I think I think I'd like. First of all, I think Andy Street is amazing, and I think he's done a fantastic job. And a lot of the success that, and I've said this on stage, I've said this on other podcasts, I've said this to him and to anyone else. A lot of the success that we're now having as a city and, a, and indeed a region is due to Andy, uh, both his work with the LEP and obviously his work as mayor. And I just think he's the perfect person at the right time. And I, I hope he continues again for another term because I just think he's absolutely what the region needs. He bangs the drum both uh, both in London but also around the world. And I, I just think he's been instrumental in just more of a spotlight being on us and more of an understanding about who we are and economically what we're trying to do as well. Um, so I think he's absolutely the right person. Who who does that job after him? Who knows? Might I be interested? Yeah. Um, I just I, I more than that though. I just wanna I wanna help Brum and be involved in Brum. And obviously this podcast goes out to a huge audience, and that's what I that's all I would say. If I can help anybody, please make an approach and and do, do that. I mean, I've got twenty years experience in broadcasting to an area. I've got a profile. My how I feel about what I do now is I'm looking quite closely at what else I can do to help, who I can work with, who I can help give a platform to, because we've got an opportunity now. Um, the Com Games was amazing. The world saw us in a new light. We saw ourselves in a new light, I think. But what do we do with that now? And it's up to all of us to work out what we do and how it's done and to put a bit of energy into creating a legacy that changes things for our city for the better because we've still got loads of issues we've still got poverty we've still got issues with education and health Ian Ward I think whenever you hear him speak he's very very articulate and very clear that yes for all the good things we've got especially in light of you know the awareness of the past two weeks it's what happens now and how do we solve the intrinsic problems that we have and we have had for a long time. So it's about that. It's about acknowledging that. Just had a text. Uh, apologies. <laughs> I put that on the side. As a broadcaster, I should really, I should really know. To, uh, I'm honestly working with amateurs. Can't get the stat. But it's about what we do next. I think it's about solving our problems and really getting into the communities and making sure people are heard and seen, but more importantly, we're making a difference and we're improving people's lives. Um, I've mentioned Andy. I think I'd like to mention the council as well. I think Ian was doing a brilliant job. Deborah, as chief exec of the council, we were at a downtown lunch the, the other day. The leadership of the city has never been in as good hands as it is now. Neil Rami and the team are doing a great job. You've got some amazing people who absolutely care, but more than that, they're going to get stuff done and you can feel a change happening. So I'm very excited about the leadership and the direction we're going to go and uh, to, to go 
two as a city and a region. And I just want to play my part in that in whatever way I can. Well, if Andy decides to go off and do national stuff, which I hope he does, because because uh, I be think brilliant. he is, the country needs that. I think as well that, that sort of common sense. You know, he, obviously he's conservative, but listen, you know what Andy Street to me demonstrates is that if you're a good politician, it doesn't matter what party you doesn't. represent, you're basically doing things for the good of yes. the place that you represent. Yes, people will vote for you, people will support you, people will get behind yeah. you. And I couldn't agree more with you in terms of the impact that he's had yeah. as a mayor here. And let's, again, remind ourselves that both occasions that he's won elections, he won't favour it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. People said to me, yeah. West Midlands is going to be a Labour mill. Yeah. You know, whoever, whoever stands for Labour. That, yeah. He won the first time. Yeah, and the second. He's yeah. been returned. Uh, and you seldom hear people criticise it. Uh, and I think that's because he's a guy that, okay, has a political badge, but his clear objective is what can I get done for my own? Absolutely right. He's got integrity and people respond to that mm. and he engages in a fantastic way. At a time now where there's a real issue with the way politicians are engaging, I don't think we've ever been in a period of time where there's so much <clears throat> distrust with the... MPs and and Andy's the opposite to all of that, and you know it's the way it. We need to move to that start, and Andy actually can play a massive part in government. I think for sure, and when he does, we know that we've got someone lined up (laughs) who can pick up the mantle. Well, there are lots of people who could do an amazing job, and I'm happy to. I'm happy to be involved. We're just trying to get a line for the. I know you are. I know you are. Help me along. Help me along. Uh, right, let's go back to then. <laughs> 2002, oh, fantastic opportunity, million listeners, 28 years of age. Um, we were talking off uh, about the challenges of doing a breakfast show yeah. because I've got a mate in Liverpool, you know, Simon Ross. Great um, broadcaster. He was a fabulous guy, but, you know, he's been doing that show for, for a long, long time. And he's it? 60 now, so he's um, going to be feeling it. I think he's older. <laughs> uh, he, he must be older than that. Um, but... You've got when you're doing that job, it's it, it, and you, well, to, well, I'll shut up. You talk us through what that program is like when you're having to do it on a daily basis for that period of time. <clears throat> Sorry, just clear, clear my throat before you <clears throat> answer that. It's relentless, first, first of all, because you've got to be there at five o'clock in the morning. So your day starts at half three, four, which is a ridiculous time to be awake. You're not supposed to be, your, your, your body isn't supposed to be out of bed at that time. So you've got the physical aspect first. But it's, yeah, it's, it's hard work because it's, it's constant every single day. If you think about a four-hour show, and yeah, you've got ads, you've got news, you've got travel, but you're having to come up with content that connects and engages every single day for four hours. And that's that's a hard thing to do. And you've always got to put your... And the, how, how we approached it and how we still approach it and how I approach everything, really, and this is a big thing that we, that we do at HDY, you put yourself in the position of the audience and you go, what are they thinking and feeling? What's going through their minds at the time in terms of, you know, the, the season or the weather or is it become games happening? Or what, where is where is their attention? Then how do we mirror their attention with content that just automatically engages because it's where their brains are anyway. 
And you're doing that for four hours a day, every day. And it's it's relentless. And and you never actually switch off either. And that's and the great broadcasters have this as well. The show ends at 10 or 9 or whatever, but you're on all day. It's what you see. If a friend of yours says something, you see something on TV, a thought pops into your head, and then you put it in a WhatsApp group and you chat. You're always thinking, what's the best thing that we can do on that day? So it doesn't stop. It's And that's that's quite a pressure. And also, I don't know how how, how, how many people know how it works, but we get the audience numbers every three months. And that's like getting a school report every... So basically, you're told how you've done, and the audience could go up or down. They could tune in for longer or shorter. They could have gone to free or radio one and it's like god so as well as the pressure every day every three months you get called into a meeting and your boss goes your audience is down and you're like well how can it be down because we worked really hard on that so there's it's just non-stop pressure but that's a privilege and you thrive on that because that's what you've chosen to do but it's 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 not easy mm. and, and i just wonder you know because it's it's not normal Getting up at that time, no. for that length of time, no. you know, for those many years that you did that no. show. And because you're so active and interested in lots of other things as well, it's not as if you finish the show and then go back to bed and switch off it. So you'll have been socialising, you'll have been networking, you'll have been involved in yeah. all sorts of stuff, I'm sure. And of course, that's the sort of age where we're starting to get into relationships, yeah. we're starting to have kids, family. Yeah. So how does that job fit with all those other things that I know Ed James loves to do. And I'm sure, again, because I've got to know you a little bit over yeah. the past eight years, personal relationships, yes. and what I absolutely know is your relationship with your kids Thank you, yeah. is massively important to yes. you. How, do you. how does that balance out with that type of job? Well, I think that's probably one reason I'm not in a relationship, but that's probably the reason that I have an ex-wife. Um, <laughs> Because you're, you're absolutely right, and this is, and the older you get, I think the more you understand it. But I, I struggle with this. I absolutely do still, and I think a lot of us do as well. Where's the balance? You know, I think as you're younger, you often, and I did, put lots of energy into my career and my job, absolutely at the expense of family. Um, and I think one of the reasons, just being really frank, frank. Um, that I'm so passionate and so protective over time with my kids now is because I don't think I was year, years ago. I really don't think I was. Um, do I regret that? Yes. Did I need to do it to work hard to carve out a career? Yes. So it's one of those, how do you ever get that right? And that's the parental guilt thing. You feel the guilt when you're at work because you should be with the kids. You feel the guilt with the kids because you should be at work and you've missed a networking do or a client event or something. You never get that right. Um, and I think we've just got to make, I think, peace with the fact that you can't get it right. And you've got to do the best you can every day. You've got to spend as much time you can with the kids, but as much time as you can to grow a business and do what you want to do as well. You kind of just hope that it all works. Um, but you're right. Time with the kids now is is the most important thing I do. And so the, the kids are older than 19, 18 and 16. And they're like friends now. They're, they're like mates. When we go out for a meal or some drinks, it's like going out with your mates. And I am very lucky to, to have that. And they're brilliant kids. And they've come through a difficult time because they've been through a split with me and their, their mum. 
but they've coped with it brilliantly. And the time I get with them now is so special. Um, and just going back to the work ethic piece, I think that's really important as well. In the same way I learned that from my mum and dad, I think it's important that kids see parents with a passion and with a good work ethic and parents that want to do things and you know help people and get involved in things. Why, why is that not a great example for kids? I think it is. It's interesting there, Ed, because what you basically spelt out is the trade-off. Yeah, that you it make is a trade-off. For career, family. It always makes me smile when I hear people talking about work-life balance. Yes, no such Because, thing. you know, listen, I'm nearly 40. And, I, <laughs> and I'm struggling. I'm struggling to find out what it is. Um, but, you, you know, when you're... It, listen, there'll be business owners listening to this yeah. who will be having the same sort of internal battles with we'll themselves. And those who know you or think they know you yes. will, will look at you and think, Ed James has never worried about anything like that. Okay, because no. put you, you're out there, you're always bullish, you're always up for it. Yeah. Um, so I think people will be listening to that. Oh, it's somewhat relieved. But you okay. know, people like you and I yeah. have those feelings as oh, well. Oh, God, it's tough. But my view of that, when I was a politician, yeah. which is equally yeah. r- ridiculous in terms of the hours that you're having to put in, and, and I wanted to see me mates. I, I got into politics at a very young age, still wanted to see me mates, had kids at a young age, had them to... My justification was, if I'm successful... I'm going to be able to look after my kids as they grow up, and they're going to have a, a much better life yes. than if I was someone who did the nine to five thing. Yes, and that was sort of my justification. Yeah, I look back now and exactly the same way as you. Think, oh, I wish I'd have spent a bit more time. Yeah, but then when I asked myself very candidly, would you do anything different? You're not sure if you would. I, I'm absolutely sure I wouldn't. Or you wouldn't change it. I absolutely wouldn't. Yeah. So. I think what we've got to do is as we mature and the kids mature, is try and get that time back in a different sort of way. And, you know, I've got a great relationship, as you have, with with your kids. Um, And I just think the work ethic, as you say, the interest that I've had, all of that sort of teaching and learning that they've had from me, some good and some bad, (laughs) well, that's what makes people what they are. It does. And, you know, your mum and dad weren't at the school gates at no. three o'clock picking you up every no, day. Do you feel deprived? No, not at all. I feel inspired mm-hmm. um, that I'm convinced that, and my sister actually um, is a, a presenter on Sky Sport. She hosts all the golf stuff and she's she's got a lot of companies and does a lot of hosting as well. And me and her have spoken about this. And it's because of, the example mum and dad set. We learned that from observing and seeing how passionate mum and dad were about work and about life and about, and to your point, Frank, trying to give us opportunities as well. And that's what I try to do. And I love the relationship between you and your lad, who's now involved in the business and comes to the corporate events and the social events and the, and the awards dudes. And how brilliant is that, that he's now a part of your life and your business? And that's a powerful thing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure he shares that. But, 
<laughs> let's move on quickly. Okay, fine. <laughs> Maybe not the best example to give. <laughs> uh, so, you've, as I say, listen, I don't want to get really deep into this, but, you know, again, I know that you've had some dark moments during that period. Yes. Uh, and again, you know, one of the things that I want to get out of these conversations within these podcasts and we've, you know, we've spoken to, to, to sporting legends, we've spoken to successful entrepreneurs, people like yourself who are in the public eye. And I think, again, in the world of social media now, you know, you and I often post photographs when we're out at an event, we're always the selfie with the smile. Yeah. I'm having a great time with the kids, I'm on holiday. Yeah. I've never posted anything on Instagram that says, fuck me, I'm having a shit day. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I've not had a shave. Yeah. I'm still in my dressing gown. It's three o'clock in the afternoon. I'm pissed. Yeah. We all have those times, Ed. Yeah. And you had a particularly dark time in your life. You share whatever you want to share as far as that period is concerned. Okay. But it motivated you to write a, an excellent book. You've not read it. Um, <laughs> I have, but I have. Oh, you? I have. Okay. Be more kid. Thank you. Um, but. What was it like? Because, and again, let, let me try and word this correctly because I, d- I don't want to treat this in, in a flippant way. At no, all. no, it was a really dark time. Yeah. So I'm uh, happy to talk about it because I have okay. talked about it. Okay. So, so absolutely fine, fine to do. Uh, and just you, you know, because again, I think it's important because people see Ed James, yeah, and just he has a fantastic life. He's always happy. He's always so. It would have been difficult, I guess. For when you were going through that, yeah, to talk about it openly, yes, it was, yeah. it was. Um, so for those who don't know, I've, t- I've talked a bit about it, and there are various articles about it. So, um, I had an agency and it went bankrupt due to fraud by a co director, um, which was a horrible time because I got a phone call from HMRC basically saying, We think you owe us. A million pounds and I'm like I don't think we do and then we did some work on it and it turned out we did because of fraud um, so when you get that call your world implodes and you're like okay I've got a profile um, this is really bad the police got involved uh, it, it was it was fucking awful um, so so I had to restate the accounts and get everything sorted out the company went bankrupt I personally went bankrupt as well, which was horrible. Um, but I guess what you learn from that, oh, the, the, the relationship broke down as well. I had a relationship that, that broke down. So basically, in the space of a week, I'd lost a business, a relationship, a house, access to the kids, everything. Everything went. I left the house with a Sainsbury's bag with a pair of pants and a toothbrush in it. Had to move into a flat in Brum. Um, pre- pretty low. Pretty horrible, um, felt awful, understandably, didn't know what to do next. Fortunately, Heart were brilliant. They were absolutely amazing. And that job was a lifeline. Friends were a lifeline. My parents were a lifeline. A few things I learned from that. Firstly, we're all scared of that, right? So we're all scared of losing everything financially, losing a relationship. And fear, I think, drives all of us in terms of we want a bigger house or another house or another car or, or the assets or the rest of it. And, we're, and we work harder 
to repay loans on things that we think we need. What's really interesting is when everything is stripped away and you lose everything, you do realise that it's all a load of bollocks. And there's a great weight that lifts in terms of the thing I was really scared of has happened and it's not as bad as I thought. And that's quite empowering to almost go, okay, it, it can't really get, obviously it can get worse because I have my health. And that's when gratitude kicks in. And that's when you go focus on what you have got. You've got your health, you've got your job, you've got the ability to do your job, you've got your friends, you've still got your, you've got a foundation, you've got a lot of stuff that some other people would kill for because it's a good thing. Yes, you've lost all this, but that didn't matter. And there were problems there anyway. So actually, is this just part of a life where it's redirecting you into a better, happier place? Yes, you're going to have to go through some shit, but actually concentrate on the positives. Uh, my mum gave me a piece of advice. Mum's amazing at that time because it did feel like the world was starting to close in a bit because you go, okay, what is going to happen? Um, I remember I was on air the morning it broke and I was front page on the business desk email and the user really <laughs> used to be, uh, you, that's their job. They're there to talk about events happening abroad. But I was on air and the email popped up and I was the lead story and my smiling face was on the screen in front of me and I'm thinking, okay, we're about to interview Ollie Murs and uh, news of the bankruptcy had just broke on the business desk. It was a really interesting time. And, uh, and, and, I'm laughing about it, but it was a, it was, I struggled. Yeah. I really struggled, as you can imagine. I spoke to my mum and said, it's just, it's all starting to close, close in. I've got the kids to deal with. I've got work. I've got people. I, I, I don't know what will happen next. And mum gave me some advice that I still use today and I pass on to anyone I can. And it's obvious advice and it's not, it, you, you will have heard it, but it's just take one day at a time. If you, if you think about the enormity of any situation, it's too much to deal with. You're not going to sort out everything in the next day, week, or even probably four or five years. It's going to take a period of time to get back to where you want to be. So just ignore it. Do concentrate on the next step. What's the next thing you can do? What's the thing you're going to do today to make things better? Um, and prioritise that. And prioritise self-care and making sure you're okay. Because if you're not okay, there isn't anything you, you you can do so yeah that piece of advice from mum was was amazing and really really helped me to get through that time and again that's where the book came from it's all about we never have context in our lives ever only when only when you get to the end and you look back do you go oh that's why that happened and it things make sense in hindsight and you go what i thought was an awful tragedy or a failure Actually, however painful it was, was just diverting me elsewhere and creating another opportunity. Um, some people may think that's an overly simplistic, optimistic view. I swear by it because, honestly, everything that has happened, um, however painful, I can now look back and go, I get why that happened. Because if that hadn't have happened, I wouldn't have been doing this or I wouldn't have met that person. I wouldn't have started this. And Everything makes sense when you look back, but at the time you don't have context. So I think it's important just to kind of take things as they come a little bit. And I'm not saying don't have goals and don't plan and don't have you know aims of where you want to be, but also just I think we need to accept that we're not actually in control of life at all. Life just happens uh, for all of us, no matter how much money or power you've got. 
life is in charge and often all we can do is go along with what is, is happening and make the best of those situations at the time. Um, and that's, in a nutshell, what Be More Kid is all about. It's that childlike attitude of not overthinking, not overanalyzing, just being in the moment and being happy with whatever you've got. And if bringing that all down to being a kid, I don't know about you, but my happiest memories of childhood are playing with sticks mm. and being outside in the mud. It's not about iPads and possessions. It's just being with people you love, doing things you love and being happy. That's all still inside all of us. But we lose sight of it and we get sidetracked by what we think we have to be doing or have to be achieving or have to be buying. And actually, it's about that inner peace and inner contentment of just being okay with where you are. And there's great power in that. Fascinating. Thanks for sharing that. And <laughs> to, Listen, we're going to take a short break. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to find out what Ed James's next steps were after that setback, how he's not just recovered, uh, not just survived, but thrived. So stick with us. We'll be back in a minute. Downtown in Business is the fastest growing business organisation in the UK. Working with decision makers from over a thousand companies across the country in Liverpool, Lancashire, Manchester, Leeds, Birmingham, Cheshire, Wolverhampton, Newcastle and London with more locations to follow. Through an extensive and exciting events programme and through our social media platforms, we connect our members with other businesses who can help them grow. And we engage with senior politicians and officials at local, regional and national level to promote business-friendly policies. To join Downtown in Business, please visit our website. That's all the W's, downtowninbusiness.com. Why don't you get involved with the fastest growing business organisation in the UK? Hi, this is Frank McKenna, the Chief Executive and Group Chairman of Downtown in Business. I'm really excited to announce that in March 2023, we'll be hosting a national conference, Changemakers Live, at the Knowledge Quarter, Liverpool, at the Spine Building, the award-winning Spine Building. And we'll be welcoming a host of fabulous speakers, including the Shadow Health Minister, Wes Streeting, the mastermind behind HS2, Lord Andrew Adonis, Ryan Wayne, who's the Head of Policy at the Tony Blair Institute, Colin Sinclair, the Chief Executive of the Knowledge Quarter, Jessica Bowles, she's the Strategic Director for Property Giant Bruntwood, and Social Media Guru, and so much besides, Chrissy Wolf. They'll be among a number of speakers who'll be talking about the challenges and hopefully coming up with some solutions to those challenges that we all face in the business community in 2023 and no doubt we'll face those challenges beyond. Join us for what we think is going to be an amazing day of discussion and debate where we'll be asking, so what's the big idea? Go to all the W's downtowninbusiness.com to book your tickets today. Welcome back to the Downtown Den podcast uh, with Ed James. And we were talking just before the break uh, about um, what was probably the most challenging and difficult period in his life, a bankruptcy, uh, a relationship split, uh, and all that that brings with it. Um, 
It motivated you to write the book. It did. Be More Kids. Be More Kids, still available there on Amazon. All good bookshops. Yes. Sign copies if you visit Ed's office. 100%. So let's get back onto the positives. Yeah. You've gone through the shit. Yeah. You, as you've said yourself, have got that fantastic lifeline and safety net of heart. Yes. Sounds to me, great employer. They were brilliant. They They supported you through that. And actually, just the act of, and I've done a lot of work on this as well. My job on air and everyone's job on air is to be upbeat and, and happy. And actually, and I don't want to get too morbid about this, but actually it forced me out of bed every morning to go and do a show and put a smile on my face and enjoy it. And once you once you pretend that you're enjoying it, you then start to enjoy it. That's like an NLP thing in terms of you act in a certain way. You act like the person you want to be, and all of a sudden you become that person. If I hadn't have had to get out of bed every morning and do that show, I'm not sure how often I would have got out of bed, if that made, if that made sense. In terms of there were some days I didn't want to do it. There were some days I'm like, I just feel shit. I feel tired. I feel... I feel the world's against me. I feel out of control. I just feel low. I'm just going to stay in bed. But I didn't have that choice. I had to get up and go to work and be surrounded by my best friends in a great environment, playing tunes, talking to people on the phone. It was a lifeline in every aspect because it it just gave me everything. It helped me get through the worst time of my life. And I'll always be grateful for that. And it just reignited my passion ironically at that time for being on air and talking to people having a community and yeah it's i i I owe it everything and and because you've got that lifeline safety now call it whatever you like um i mean by the way the other side of that coin is lots of people go bankrupt you also had the spotlight yes because you had that profile yes so it, it wasn't all yeah, great being on half doing no, the no, breakfast show. No, she, no, you know, it was a story about yeah. fucking hell it's popped up on business. It's the headline. <laughs> I still remember that. So, Mr. Mayor, <laughs> yes. when's your next hit out? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, as I say, there's downsides now as well. But at what point, Ed, do you, you know, come through that doom and gloom uh, and, you know, the natural feelings that you'll have had at that time? And certainly I'm sure you were thinking, fucking never going to do a business again. <laughs> that was horrendous. You know, I've just been shat on yeah. by somebody who I thought was a mate yeah. as well as a work colleague. Yeah. And look at me. Yes. What inside you has got you to say, I'm going to do business again? What was the moment that that happened? Can um, you remember? Yeah, well, I, I, I met Angel. Um, so, so I started, so what actually happened, I did a, a boutique agency, ju- just me. Because I, I just, I love doing things and I love business and I love connecting people and and I and I'm very passionate about the industry I'm in as well. So I, I ran a boutique agency that that basically bought and sold air airtime and my relationship with global enabled me to get involved as a as the middleman to go, this is what this is what your campaign needs. This is the messaging. This is how you engage. All that engagement, right? Whether whether you're planning a campaign for a client or you're hosting a show or you're, you're standing on stage. It's how do you engage the audience to get them to buy into what you're doing. So that was what I did. I sold airtime. I came up with campaigns. 
Um, and then I met Angel, who was working for another agency at the time. And we just, it was over a, a bottle of wine in Mal, that we just started talking about the gap in the agency landscape as we saw it, which was for a creative content agency. There are some great agencies in Brum. There were at the time the States. Still are. There's some great people doing amazing things. But we just felt there was a gap in terms of a lot of the agencies were, were kind of doing the one big idea. So the one big idea that looks great on a billboard, it's a big conceptual campaign. But when it came to activation and actually making things work as a social campaign or a digital campaign or an airtime campaign, it was often left to kind of younger people in the team to take that big idea. I'll oh, just, just do, do that uh, as an email or turn it into a social it's like no start with where the audience is how the audience is engaging in that channel and then really come up with a campaign that engages in the channel you're in it's not a one-size-fits-all you can't just retrofit a big campaign into all the channels you've got to have channel expertise and really really turn it up in the channel so the client gets an roi on that and this this is the kind of conversation we had over some wine. I'm thinking, I'm passionate about it. We, you can probably tell now I'm passionate about this now, as I was then. And it's like, this has to happen because you've got experience in it. I've got experience in it. We've got a concept that no one else is really doing, certainly regionally. There's an opportunity for us to create an agency that really understands this and does this. And it's what clients are asking for because we, we've been told that. So it kind of came from there, really. Um, and then you, I've always believed in the mantra of if anything scares you, you should say yes. Um, and I've that's led me to appear in a musical at the Hippodrome. I've done a skydive. I'm DJing Albert Schloss in two days' time, which scared me. I'm like, do you know what I mean? I think if you're asked to do something or there's an opportunity and you think, oh, it scares me a bit, fucking do it because you have to. So, yeah, so it, we, I kind of thought we've got experience. We know how to do it. We've got a model that works, got a concept that works. Um, let's just do it. And so it was, I wouldn't let any of the history define what I did next. I wasn't prepared to allow that. And actually owning a failure. Yeah. I've had a business and it went bust. It's a failure. Or is it in terms of what have you learned from that that I won't do again? What what have you learned when everything goes wrong that you can turn into a strength and know what other people don't know because they haven't been through that? So I'm a big fan of that as well, taking the learnings all the time and not allowing any perceived failures to define what you do next. And it is a strange attitude we have in the UK over bankruptcy yeah. and failing businesses mm. because you go to the States more regularly than yeah. I do, but you know, I've got a lot of connections over there. They're all doing it. And it's it's almost a badge of honour. It is, it's a badge of honour, isn't it? It's like, oh, I've been bankrupt three times. <laughs> But then I went to Silicon Valley, someone gave me a billion quid for this little app. And everything's fine. And look at the yacht. So I, I do think we've, you know, on a serious point, I think we've got to have a, a shift in terms of attitude towards enterprise entrepreneurs and business because you're absolutely spot on. A failure, a, a failure rather, yeah. or is seen as a failure, is often the thing that then leads to greater success. And, and the, the interesting thing leading on from your comments in terms of I did learn things um, and I, I, you know, I wouldn't do that again or I've done things differently. What would you say 
the sort of changes that you made when you went into to, to your new business from from the first time? You, what experiences you, would you say you took into the new venture? Everything: structure, governance, um, branding, being clear on expectations, both internally and externally. Asking for help as well. I think that's the big thing. It's it's going to people who you respect and who have done it before and getting them on board and getting advisors around you and having sounding boards from people who who have done it. So, you know, because you can save yourself so much time. There are some amazing people and, you know, asking help from a mentor, either officially or unofficially, um, and just reaching out to people and taking that advice Again, I think there's a problem of pride that, well, oh, I, I should know this. I'm not asking for help. Everyone needs help. And there's no shame in asking for help. Actually, there's a power in asking for help. Because if someone's done what you want to do and made all the mistakes and got things wrong, you can save yourself years. So why wouldn't you engage these people and you know take on board those learnings to speed things up and ensure that you don't make the same mistakes that... They they made so I think that that's a big one. Just a getting a proper structure and b getting some decent help and support around. Uh, as a business owner, who are you accountable to? Sort of self accountable or other people? It's the board. So okay. It's, it's, so you've yeah. got a board and, yeah. and and you sort of and do you have any formal business coach? You, you mentioned the word mentor. Yeah. Or are there just people? you have relationships with who you bounce ideas off? It's, it's a bit of both. So we have people who feed into the board. I have relationships externally, as does Angel. Um, and we're about, we're, we're speaking, it's interesting, I can't say too much about it, but we are in the process of engaging some extra support as well to really strengthen the board and give us some direction and some uh, assistance. And it's just an extra pair of ears and eyes and a sounding board. And I think that's that that's really important as well. I look at the success of Gymshark and I just think, you know, the way that Ben has handled it, it's a business that he started um, and, it, and, and he grew it amazingly well. And then he was absolutely so smart to kind of go, okay, what don't I know? Who do I need to bring in to really help me and help the business and, and, and help it grow. And he brought in Paul and Steve and, they, and and together they built such a successful business, which is absolutely flying now. And everyone is still involved, but Ben is now obviously back in the in the hot seat, having had the having had the nows to go, okay, I don't know what I need to know yet. So I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna learn, and then I can go back in. That's that's the important thing. It's and I think we all need to. And he, he's an example to to us all. I think because it would have been easy for him to go. No, I started this. It's mine. I'm going to do it in my in my way. And I'm sure he would admit it wouldn't have been the success it is had he have done that. So I think that's that's a lesson, isn't it? Just always surrounding yourself with people who know more than you and being prepared to learn. Uh, and the new business, yeah. Okay. Because it's still relatively new. Four years old, just over That's four years old. It's still a baby. Yeah, it is a baby. Um, but it's it's grown rapidly. Yes. And again, uh, people from the outside looking in will say, gosh, that's fantastic. Mm. How great are they doing? But when you grow that fast, 
that brings a whole set of other challenges. Yes, it does. And again, one of the things that I know you will want to do in anything that you're involved in is have fun yeah. or create a culture within the workplace yes. that is an Ed James type approach, if I can put it that okay. way. So work hard, play yeah. hard. Yes. Yeah? Yes. When you grow that quickly, you're having to recruit people yeah. fast. How easy it's been to get the right fit, the right personalities, the right characters for what will be quite a unique culture that mm. you're wanting to create in, in your bit. And obviously I've met Angel as well, so I sort yes. of guess yeah. what you're trying to create. How hard's that been? Really hard, really hard. And it's been especially hard because we've been through a pandemic as well. So we grew, we, we had a big growth spurt, as a lot of agencies did, in lockdown. And that was that was unusual because we were hiring people who we didn't meet for a year. So people were appearing on Zoom calls that we hadn't actually met face to face, which is just so weird. Um, and then they were embedded in the agency. And then it all feels a bit like a dream if you look back now. But we all came back to work and then we went back home and we went back to work again. And now we're in this current hybrid stage of two days a week in the office and three days at home. And, and it's hard to build a culture like that. So I think you've got to be very clear about what your culture is. Communication is the biggest thing. You've got to be really clear and transparent and honest and say, and be very clear about what you stand for and be very clear in terms of comms all the way through, both you know, from you and to, to you as well. People have got to feel that they can be really honest when things aren't right. And often things aren't right. And that's, that's the thing. It's not about the culture's amazing, everything works. It's, a, it's an evolving process every single day and it's got to be tweaked and refined and changed. And what works one year doesn't work the next year because the dynamic sometimes changes and people, you know, you know pro, pro progress and they're now in charge of a department and they want to do their thing. It's, it's a conversation. It's an, it's an evolving conversation all the time. But it's so important to have it and you've got to have the mindset of being open to that and being open to people going, I think you're wrong. I don't think this is the way it should be. And having the self-assurance to go, no, you're right, actually, I, I am wrong. So actually, let's try it your, your way. And that's part of leadership as well, to, to, not, to, to, to be comfortable not having the answers most of the time, because, because who does? And if you do, the answers are probably wrong. If you think you've got the answers all the time, they're probably the wrong answers. And it's only you that feels that. So I think... That, that, that's been a challenge, but it, it is. It's, uh, we have two days in the office a week. We, we like everyone in on a Tuesday. We try and make that day. It's a touch base day. We put on breakfast. We put on lunch. Uh, we have drinks at four where we share agency news and birthdays and client wins. Any bad news, we open and honestly share as well. And it's, uh, we try how, and how do... How many are in the team now? Like 35 in wow. the team now. We've just hired two more really exciting people, which we're about, about to announce which will just give us an extra an extra edge, I think. So we're really excited about that. Um, but so that's yeah, a big team. Too. It's a really big team. It's a really big... The team are brilliant. We're very fortunate to have some amazing people in the team. Um, I just... I look at... I think when we started our chat ages ago, I, I mentioned that to go into a radio station and get that vibe and energy, it's the same at HDY. You've got a room full of creative, talented, amazing, passionate people who I like to feel are empowered to do their best work. 
And to be around that is really exciting. Um, and to see what they come up with for clients and to see the energy they bring to it, it's, it reminds me of being in a radio station. And that's an environment I'd like to foster and spend more, more time in. Um, as I say, it's, it's tough, isn't it? Because you try, you, you're having to deliver for your clients. Yes. You're conscious of the fact that your team is growing quickly. So yes. there's lots of new starters. Yes. Some of those people's expectations will be different to what you're thinking yes. in terms of the business yes. and the work and, yeah. and so on and so forth. So to get that balance of, you know, okay, we're going to create a really fun culture, work hard. This is the sort of business I want to develop and yeah. I want to create yeah. to deliver as well. Yes. It's it, a balance. It's act. tough, isn't it? It's it is. tough. It and, is. and, you know, I've been in a situation, uh, you know, we're 20 years old next year. I'm never going to have 35 staff <laughs> um, because, you know, I've had some really painful moments when I've had people within the team who I know aren't the right fit, mm. but because of the pressures of yeah. an events programme yeah. or some other stuff that's good, that you're just too busy to not have people. It don't, almost doesn't matter what, you know, it's almost like just, we just need, we a, just body. need a body. We just to need do a body to do some stuff. Now, you know, I think we are much better as a business now in terms of spotting early doors, whether someone's right or wrong. Yeah. And we move them on quickly. Yeah. And what it's led to actually, and again, this is be interesting to get your thoughts on this, is, you know, we've had, we've had quite a bit of churn over the last few years. Yeah. Um, and people can look from the outside thinking, that must be a really shit place to work because, you know, they're in and out. Yeah. Um, and some people have been. But it's been very deliberate. And often, it's not a conversation that I'm having with them to say, you're crap, and I just need you out of business. But I've had, with three people in particular, who come straight, to, straight into my head when I'm having these conversations, I've sat down with them and said, I don't think this fits you. You know, to, and, and it's almost like the, the joke conversation you have with a, with a girlfriend. It's you not know, you, it's, it's not, me. Yeah. But when you have that conversation in a mature, measured fashion, and you're not just trying to blame them for, yes. for the fact that, you know, we use that word again, failure. Yeah. It's not working out. You can actually move them on in a constructive way. And we've not fallen out with any of those no. people who've left the business. But just wondering if you've had any of those sort of experiences. Yeah, because it's just tough, isn't it, to get that, as I say, that balance, right? It is tough. There's, there's two, two things there, I think. Um, it's the old adage of slow to hire, fast to, hire, fast to fire, which is really important, I think, because you can't get it right all the time. And often you have a good feeling about a person, their attitude and their skill set absolutely fits, and it just doesn't work. But you've got to deal with that quickly because it's it's actually yes it's it's to do with them but it's more to do with the team as well. And if you don't act, it really destabilizes the whole team. So I think we've got better at that uh, spotting when it's not right and acting quite quickly. But you're right; it's hard when and I can think of loads of examples as well. People who are amazing people who I'm still friends with, who I still talk to. And have gone on to do amazing things, but they just weren't right. And we have a big, we have a saying in terms of, are they the right person? Are they in the right seat? And that's really important as well. They might be the right fit culturally, and they might be absolutely the person you need and you want in a business. But what seat are they in? And 
if they're not in the right seat, where is the right seat for them? And there's been a few occasions where we just haven't got the right seat. They're the right person. And part of me would wish them still be too involved, to, to still be involved in HDY because of what they brought and their energy and they're fantastic to be around. But they just didn't work in the right way. They weren't, they weren't right. And that that's tough when you go, God, I want to find a job. I want you to work with us because you're so brilliant for our culture and clients think you're amazing and the team thinks you're amazing, but it just doesn't work. And that's what I find hard because you've got to be strong and go, it's not right. Yeah. And it's not right for them either. That's the really interesting thing. And a lot of people, we haven't had a lot like that. We've had a few and they've gone on to do amazing things. And that gives me a lot of pride to kind of go, we made the right call, not only for us, but most importantly for you. And you are now flying and so passionate about what you're doing and you're in the job you always should have been in and that's brilliant to see but hard at the time because you want to keep people who you like yeah yeah absolutely and and as i say as as you get busier and and we always think that we're busy don't we um you do rock it around sometimes and as i say we don't do this now hopefully but we have in the past sort of thought we just need the heads, yeah. we just need the body, and it's the worst. I think it's one of the worst things I've done as, as a business. We do exactly the same, Frank. We do exactly the same. And you get a piece of client work, and you go, "Oh, Christ, this is a massive piece of client work." Right, yeah. I hire this person, that person, that person, and then you deliver the project, and then you have a look at what resource you've got and what people are doing. And you're going, "Christ, we've got four people that we don't need, and we've made that mistake." Yeah. Um, but you learn from that. Yeah. Hopefully you yeah. learn from that Absolutely. and you don't do it yeah. again. With, without too much collateral damage, hopefully, yes. because, again, you've got to be... Uh, and, it, it, you know, there's a perception, I think, that is generated, sadly, by the media and some of our politicians that, you know, the only thing that business owners are interested in is the bottom line and profit. Not true. I don't know anyone. But, you know, we do, I'm, I'm sure there are people like that out there, right? But... We don't work with them. No. You know, the people we work with, people like you, yeah. who really do care about creating a great culture, yes. a great business, yeah. looking after people. So when you have to have those tough conversations, it's not, you don't get, point you were making earlier, you get out of bed and you go, oh, great, I've got a great day today, I've seen it. You know, those are the days when you, you get out of bed and you, you go, really oh, I'm dreading this conversation. Yeah. You really and it's, and you know, as I say, I think business at the moment in this country is getting a bit of a hard rap. When you, myself, and the vast majority of business owners out there will hate having those conversations yeah. and often don't have those conversations yes. and the businesses are poorer for it. Absolutely. And, and, the, and the team are poorer for it as well because it's like what I said about having full context as well. You know if it's not right. You, if you're, Everyone can feel that they're not working in the way that they want to be. They're not delivering what the business needs or what they want to be doing. So quite often you find that it's almost, yes, it's a horrible conversation, but there's a relief as well. It's like, okay, yeah, I've been feeling this. And it's horrible going to work feeling that something isn't quite right. But that's where it comes down to being honest and being clear and being open and making sure it's not personal. It's I think you've always got to put the business first in terms of, because if you haven't got a business, you can't take care of anybody. So it's about what's best for the business and having an honest conversation with everybody um, to make sure 
they understand the, the reasons why. And, and as I said, often what can be a painful process to go through is often the best thing that ever happens because they then go on to absolutely find their place and their position and they absolutely thrive. thrive. And they look back and go, God, I'm pleased that happened. And that's the thing to bear in mind when things are tough and when you're having that conversation, either you're hosting it or you're being or you're on the receiving end of it. Fast forward a month or two or three, and probably everyone's in a better place. Absolutely. Let me move the conversation on to what makes you tick, what sort of things you do to relax, right. to switch off, yeah. because you know it's a frenetic lifestyle. You've still got your broadcasting, you've still got your show. It's the drive time show yes. now, which is a little easier. It is a little easier. Fitting all the stuff in <laughs> than the breakfast programme, getting up at bloody half one in the morning. Um, so, again, I'm guessing that, you know, as you get older, a bit more experience, you, you start to find ways in which you, you can switch off, you can have that bit of time where you just... You can never forget everything about no. the business. None of us ever can. But at least you know, sort of deep breath and refresh. What are the sort of things that, that you do to Ed James do to, to get to that point? Two words, so, solo holidays. I've just, that I've only just realised how amazing they are. I did the NC500, the uh, North Coast trip around Scotland. I hired a motorhome a year ago, just me for a week in a motorhome. It was, I think, the best experience and trip I've ever had in my life. Um, what was interesting about that, everyone goes, oh, you're so brave. I would encourage anybody to spend some time by themselves. It's such an empowering thing to do. It's There's a few things there in terms of when you've not got anyone, you've not got a partner or kids or any, you can absolutely do whatever you want. And I don't think any of us really often get that experience. So you're driving a motorhome, you know, straight away, I'm like, I'm like how, do, how do I do it? Is it too big? Am I going to crash it? So you've got that. And again, it scared me. So I'm like, I need to do it. But then you, you drive past a sign for a waterfall and you think, I'm just going to go there and have a walk around. There's no set agenda. There's no place you have to be. Normally on holiday, you know where you're staying. You know what the room is like. Maybe you're in all-inclusive. You know what time you're having breakfast or lunch. Actually, it is so empowering, quite enlightening, to have an agenda-free week where you're answerable only to yourself. You want to stop at the side of the road and have a sleep at half eight? You can do that. You want to keep driving? You want to find a campsite? You can do it. Do you know what I mean? It's very rare to have that amount of control over your time. And the interesting thing is where your mind goes when it doesn't have to do anything. It doesn't have to think about anything. You're completely free of all the daily distractions. And it's amazing where it goes and what it thinks about, who it thinks about. And, you know, I learned so much about me um, and got so many ideas. And creatively, it's brilliant as well, just to come up with stuff. Um, so I'd suggest to anyone that they should try it. It doesn't have to be a week. I had um, the last bank holiday. Um, it's an interesting one. I thought, am I just going to spend it with mates in, in Brum? There was a lunch on, there was a do. I thought, actually, no, I'm going to go and climb Helvellyn in the in the lake. So I, I, I took, took myself off, booked a little B&B for 
two nights, climbed Helvellyn. And, and again, it's just allowing your mind the freedom just to think about whatever it wants to think about. It's really powerful. So it can be a week, it can be a few days, but I'm trying to do more of those trips because mm-hmm. I just think it's it's changed everything for me and I'm a big, big fan of them. Really interesting. Yeah. And apart from that, it's spending time with the kids, going out for a meal, staying in for a meal, going to play golf, whatever. It's just... And spending quality time with people you want to you want to be with because there's no time, is there? I think we're all the same. Our most precious commodity and yeah. we're so wasteful of it, aren't we? We are. The week starts and you've got meetings and engagements and phone calls and Zooms and you get to the end of the week and you go, what, what, yeah. what have I done? What have I actually done in that week? It's just the week has controlled me rather than me controlling it. So it's important to carve out time to do things you actually want to do and spend time with people you want to spend time with. That's what I've learned over the past few years. How much planning do you put into the real... It sounds quite a clinical word, that planning. No, go on. I know how important your relationship with the kids is. Yeah. So how do you, you know, in your busy life... Yeah. um, and, And again, you know... Not to almost sound too dramatic, but as a single parent, yeah. because you know, if you're in a relationship and your kids are with your partner, yeah, it gives you some comfort because you yes. think, oh, well, the kids are with and some freedom, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, and a lot of freedom. Do you, do you have to sort of work hard at that, or is it quite natural in terms it's, of? Well, I think I worked hard. So when the kids, and this is an interesting, this is a, I'm dealing with this now, and it's it's interesting you ask the question because it's it's an uncomfortable phase I guess that I'm going through because when we split and when all the bankruptcy was gone I was very deliberate about really focusing on the kids and really spending as much time with the kids as I could and it was special and it was immovable and it was I would turn down pretty much everything if I had the kids because that was and if this was the absolute right call that was the best thing that I could do I wanted to do that but that was my role as a dad to protect them to make sure they were as okay as they could be fast forward a few years um we're at the stage now where they don't want to spend as much time with me so the really interesting thing is at 19 18 and 16 they've got girlfriends boyfriends jobs jack's about to go to uni what's interesting is I go, should we go out to to see a film? No, I'm going to see Billy. I'm doing this. I've I've got a rugby. And I'm like, does anyone want to do anything? And so what what it's about now is is working with them and kind of going, well, when I was their age, I didn't want to hang around with mum and dad. They should be seeing their friends. But as a parent, it's like, no, I want us. I've carved out all this time. I want us to go for a walk. And they're like, Oh, Dad, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to see So now it's about just understand, just allowing them to be them and be guided by them, really. Which again means, okay, well, if I'm supposed to have them, but they're all out, I'll go out for a meal with a friend of mine, or I'll go and read a book, or I'll, you know, go on an online course or a podcast or something. So it's about that. It's about trying to respect what they want to do and not forcing them to do anything. But I'd be lying if I said it wasn't hard. And I think all parents find it hard when you realise the kids would rather be with other people than they would with you. <laughs> it's not easy, Frank. <laughs> yeah, it's never been any different for us. <laughs> um, listen, it's been a fascinating conversation. And um, yeah, 
thanks very much for, for some of the I've insights really that, that you've given Thank us. You. But before we close, um, the obvious question, I suppose, to finish on, what next? Go ahead, James. A bit of more of the same and a bit of new stuff. Um, I'm loving heart. I really do. I love Brum. I love Brum and the region. I mean, I, I just, and I, I'm loving it more and more. So the more involved I can get, the better. I'm very grateful and thankful that I get the chance to broadcast on Heart. Still, it's a great brand. It's a great show to work with Gemma every day. is, is amazing. HDY, I'm very proud of what we're building. Uh, me and Angel started it four years ago. We've got a new MD called B, who is just phenomenal, and she's driving it, and she will drive it to bigger success. The team are amazing. So to work with those people every day, I feel lucky and blessed. So to sustain and grow those things... Um, there's a podcast I want to launch. I've got an idea for a podcast, uh, which I've been working on in the background. I think I've got another book in me. Um, and I want to help. And we touched upon this uh, earlier on. I want, to, I want to get involved more and help because I think the older you get, actually, it's the most important thing. Who have you helped? Whose life have you improved? Who, who, who have you made a difference to? And that's, again, what Brum does, I think, it, forces you to go, well, how are you helping? How are you driving the city forward? How are you making a difference here? So I'm thinking a lot about how I can do that. Um, I don't have any answers. I've got a lot of thoughts. But it's, it's why I, it's why pretty much if I'm asked to host anything, I'll say yes, because it's some way I can give back and I can get involved. It's why I introduce and connect. I know a lot of people in the city do that. But yeah, I'm thinking about how I can make a difference and what I can do to make this an even better place than it is now. That's what I'm spending my time on. Absolutely brilliant. Thanks very much, James, in the downtown den. And listen, that was probably the widest ranging conversation that we've had in this series. And, and Ed's touched on so many things there. So grateful for his openness, his transparency, his honesty. And hopefully when you're listening to... Ed, you understand that however successful we are, we've become, uh, or you visualise people to be, we all have shit. And at times, you know, whatever that external persona is, don't think it's all like that. You know, because if you're having a crap day, you can guarantee that there's lots of other people having a crap day as well. And we all have to deal with that. It's not all roses um, for any of us. And I think Ed has talked us through some coping mechanisms there, which which will be useful for everyone. It's also really interesting to hear Ed talk about culture of a business and how challenging that can be. And then he listened to his words about how he dealt with, we use the word failure, but actually he's turned that into a real positive as well. Lots of other things I'm sure you've taken away from that conversation. I certainly have. And as I say, I think probably the most wide-ranging conversation we've had with any of our guests this series. Great to see Ed James. And I'll tell you what, in three or four years' time, don't we love seeing Ed James, Mayor of West Midlands? And I'd certainly be you had to get that in at the end, didn't I'll, you? Certainly be, I'll certainly be campaigning for him if he does. And look out for this next book. And if you've not read it yet, be more kid. So that was Ed James in the Downtown Den, a podcast that I'm sure 
you've found fascinating. And as I said in the introduction, a really honest and open assessment from Ed about the trials and tribulations of his career, um, the ups and downs, as I say, but also, you know, I think his love of Birmingham shines through in that interview as well. He's such a great ambassador for the city and somebody who does genuinely not just give back to the place, but gives back to its people as well. And as he was saying there, you know, a, a huge uh, believer in collaboration in connecting people in networking, uh, somebody who is always looking to help others. And I think because of that gets a huge amount of respect uh, and I have to say love from across the city as well. A big personality uh, in the West Midlands, um, but somebody who is never seen as being anything other than down to earth. Um, somebody, as I say, you can always go to for help and support uh, and someone who is a massive, massive ambassador for the West Midlands. And next time in the downtown den, we have another adopted Brummie. It's Chrissy Wolf, a social media influencer, somebody who has been working with us again, probably for about five or six years now. A fascinating tale of somebody who's gone from world of professional services into consultancy, but also um, speech making, uh, writing, and as I say, really got into this new world of social media platforms in a big way. So Chrissy Wolf is up next in the downtown den next week. Hope you've enjoyed listening to Ed James. This is Frank McKenna, the Chief Executive and Group Chairman of Downtown in Business. Uh, have a great week and we'll uh, see you again very soon.